Welcome to another episode of Mixed Life ATL. In this installment of the podcast, we chat about Mixed-ish episodes 14 and 17. Welcome everyone, this is Shannon, and before we dive into reviewing episodes 14 and 17, we want to let you know we have a special message at the end of this episode we'd like you to be part of, so please stay tuned for that. We also wanted to take time to shout out investigative journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones, who won the Pulitzer Prize for her phenomenal 1619 project in the Atlantic. Well-deserved. That project was, you know, gave a powerful United States history lesson for so many, and I had many white friends admitting to me that they were that they were um, a lot of facts that they were reading for the first time so it goes to show there's always something new to learn so we can you know keep on teaching learning talking and reviewing the facts of our history bravo nicole we'll make sure to include the 1619 project information on our blog to celebrate her and she is very strong voice in the biracial and black community and we can all continue to learn so much from her Another example of how diverse POV is so important in our newsrooms. Yes, yes. So true. All right. Well, let's get to reviewing Mixish. We'll jump right ahead in the season a little bit um, to covering two episodes on this podcast, particularly episode 14 called True Colors and episode 17 called Say Hello, Wave Goodbye. Let's first chat about episode 14. Man, I do remember, <laughs> I do remember those Kodak commercials that, with the True Color song. Do you remember those at yeah. all? <laughs> Dying to sing that right now. I know, me too. It's like, once it's in your head, you just sing it all day. But um, Colors and Benetton, they were all, all the jam for a mixed kid like me in the 80s. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this episode explores how, this is Tarana, hello all. This yeah. episode explores how Bo is celebrating becoming a teenager and Alicia letting go of Bo's kitty stage. Bo is having issues with Alicia as she prepares to celebrate her 13th birthday because Alicia can't quite accept that Bo is no longer a little girl and wants to have a fun teenage party. Meanwhile, Paul's estranged mother comes uh, to visit for Bo's birthday. Paul is having major issues with her his mom, um, because she's showing up after abandoning abandoning him and his father, Harrison, when he was just 12 years old, rightfully so. So this this is the first time he's seeing him and speaking, seeing her and speaking to his mother in 30 years. Mm -hmm. Paul's mother, Rose, introduces her friend, meanwhile, as her, quote unquote, work and travel companion. And because the gay (laughs) radar is low in 1985, he doesn't realize yet that she's gay. Yes. Yes. That was a surprise. Just when I was thinking that they were going to tackle the obvious choice of grandma being white and the kids calling her white grandma, quote unquote, and, you know, as a distinction and her trying to relate to her biracial grandkids and the awkwardness that that brings, the writers throw in a curveball with her sexuality. I think the conversation that they have about, you know, who Paul and his mom have about who's struggling in the relationship and in society more in their marriage is interesting. Paul says, I know how it how it is when others don't accept your marriage. That's why we moved to the commune. And his mom tries to one up him and explain that it was harder for them since they had to leave the country to be together. And Paul doesn't want to debate this about who had it worse, but um, 
this is their only moment they kind of slightly bond because he's just extremely angry with her that you know she's showing up and not addressing the obvious elephant in the room so to speak of her abandoning them and this is also you know 1985 1986 when being gay was was much different than today um and I also believe that this is the first time Paul and Alicia really explain why they lived on a commune. Toronto, what do you think about that conversation? Because I think that, like, you know, with them, you know, first of all, debating and one-upping each other <laughs> was interesting, you know, just interesting. Like, well, we had to leave the country. Well, we had to live in a commune. You know, they just obviously both couldn't live in the country, like, peacefully, in their relationships, being accepted, you know. Yeah, this is a really interesting um, conversation because, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who have said, well, you can't liken being gay to being um, subjected to racism. You know, that's from a lot of people who think being gay is a choice, right? Right. When you're born the race that you are. So definitely familiar with this tug of war um, in, in popular culture. Um, but, but what I think is, and why we're doing this podcast, is that I'm down for anybody who has to create their own way in a society that doesn't, isn't automatically accepting of them as the mainstream. Anybody who is other and going through that other experience. So I absolutely believe that biracial couples... Um, and how they are um, rejected and gay lesbian couples and how they are rejected yeah. uh, a common out a point of compassion and commonality and support for one another. And there are absolutely differences and there are right. absolutely similarities um, mm-hmm. to these. And things. I think, you know, a lot of, in a lot of ways, biracial couples have paved the way for gay couples um, in a sense, you know, and, it's just interesting that, you know, to be that desperate to leave your only child to, ha- you know, to be who you are is um, a position I would never want to be in. But mm. that got <laughs> super serious. But um, but so later in the episode, Paul is still fury- furious with his mother for not apologizing and recognizing how badly she hurt him. And he demands that she leaves the home just when a surprise party arrives for Bo. And Paul pauses his mission to allow Bo to have quite the teenager party for her 13th birthday thanks to her mother Alicia coming you know eventually coming around and this was a big deal the teen birthday parties I remember planning my entire 13th birthday party and it was the first time hosting a guy girl party and I saw it out and personally asked my friends to attend and we went to the movies and I remember two guys that I had super crushes on I don't think I should name them (laughs) but um you know one was black biracial he was Kenyan uh Kenyan African and white and one was the other boy was white and um I remember one of them gave me the Shaquille O'Neal single cassette tape it was like such a big deal oh my gosh but um not romantic at all but it was something um I just think it was hysterical that Shaq actually tried to have a hip-hop career um (laughs) he just makes me laugh when I see him for for good reason he's he's done everything he's He's everywhere so entertaining um, but did you, do you remember having a teen birthday party or boy girl birthday party for the first time? And was it a big deal? You know, was it like majority white kids? Was it a mix? 
Yeah, I was. Was this before you diversified? (laughs) I was a a late bloomer when it came to the boys. You know, there's all kinds of you know theories I have for why that is. But um, Mm -hmm. so no, I did not have boys at my 13th birthday party. I barely remember that birthday for some reason. Mm. Um, Maybe just because I'm old, but. Uh, I turned 13 in 1989 um, and all of my birthday parties were awkward because I was the glue, right? So I would try, I just remember all my birthday parties being just this experiment in bringing different friends together. Mm, And so even from being a very young girl at five years old, I can remember, or maybe six, I I literally had this feeling of, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so fun. I'm gonna have all my friends around the birth, around the birthday table. And and that started my, my career of being like the glue, right. And Mm. being the one Mm -hmm. to make everybody have fun and get to know each other. And Hey, did you know that Sally Sally likes bubblegum and so do you like mm-hmm. trying to create conversation mm-hmm. and so that was still I would say being 13 you know again I grew up, grew up in predominantly white schools and neighborhoods so um we had more diverse family friends and family obviously but that was definitely still my friends most of my close friends were white um but yeah. the birthday parties for me and and even now it's gotten a little bit better in life I'm happy to say mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my 40th birthday party was phenomenal and um I finally got the, to the point where friendship is in your tribe naturally right. gets along somehow because we are all kind of have similar values and mm-hmm. uh, we walk through the world in a similar way. Not that we're all the same, but it really felt good at 40, finally not having to be the glue at my own birthday party. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally get that. I totally get that. Um, so in the end of this episode, Paul's mom finally apologizes for the years away after he, you know, pretty much forces her, but she confesses that she never knew how to talk to him about her being gay. And Paul is thankful for the apology um, and I just, I don't recall knowing anyone that was personal, like personally that I knew that was gay in the eighties or that was out as gay in the eighties. And as they said in the show, gay radar, AKA gaydar <laughs> was not as strong then. So it, you know, it was probably very well hidden. And, um, I just wondered, did you know, did you, did your family or did you know anyone you know, in the eighties that were gay or cause you know, these situations. Yeah. Eighties was, Oh, we had the whole AIDS epidemic and there was so yeah. much going on around that, um, that I, I, I did not in my family. Um, I may have had some gay relatives did not know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was not something where I had peers that I knew to be, um, to be, uh, LGBTQ, I, you know, gay, I did not know any of that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have anybody in my immediate circles. However, I do have a story about a family friend who, um, this is my parents' friends, and they also have mm-hmm. to be a, a mixed couple that my parents went to college with. The mother of this family friend, so in my mom and dad's generation, her father was gay mm-hmm. to her mother for many years and then finally they split but mm-hmm. I always remember thinking whoa there's a story there because that was back in the day I mean granted it was in California 
but still this was when you know she was growing up mm. the 50s um that her oh, wow. father was in the closet right so so this happened probably in the 90s I'm not sure exactly when he came out and when they divorced but that gotcha was, yeah you know that was definitely the generation that's a big deal and it's so. like you hear a lot of those stories now I mean yeah. I remember you know knowing some friends I feel like the 90s is when things turned around a bit. Um, and, and maybe the 80s had something to do with that, like with the AIDS epidemic and seeing so many of that community being impacted that the gay community probably was over it, <laughs> you know, and was like, forget this, life is too short and we want to live openly. And um, so, yeah, I really I enjoy imagine. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I really enjoy now. I I, um, I do have several friends now uh, in my life who are um, lesbian, gay, LGBTQ. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really enjoy my friendships with them because I feel like we do bond. It's very obvious on, on, on the otherness. I feel mm-hmm. like there's something I can do to... Um, be compassionate and listen to them because of the experiences I've had. Again, not necessarily apples. I mean, carrots carrots is more like apples and oranges, but I I still feel drawn to their story and hearing um, their journey because of um, growing up mixed is a very, not a mainstream uh, experience in America. You, you, you pointed something out though, the compassion, the compassion is there from the, the LGBTQ a, it keeps continuing. The alphabet <laughs> keeps continuing. Oh, yeah. That, that community, there is compassion. Everyone that I meet from that community has so much compassion for all people and wants, you know, everyone. Yeah, I, I do. You're right. I mean, I never thought about that. It's like this special fight that we have the, taking on the burdens of everyone, so to speak. Yeah. And again, there. very different. We don't want to minimize or, or, um, yeah. Or be too simplistic in the comparison. No, but for me, that's I I have enjoyed those those friendships because of that reason, mm-hmm. especially. Yeah. Okay, so bear with us, everyone, because now we're going to jump ahead a few episodes uh, to episode seventeen called "Say Hello, Wave Goodbye." I was not necessarily familiar with that song. I have to admit, <laughs> when a black family moves in the neighborhood, and Alicia and Paul are beside themselves with excitement. Dee Dee says, it's about time we got some color in the neighborhood. While Paul responds with, tell me about it. I'm tired of being the only black family on the street. To which Dee Dee and Paul, Dee Dee and Alicia give Paul a side eye, right? Because he's a white guy. He's not black, but he feels black. I guess. <laughs> and he can jump rope like he's black, too. Have you seen that episode? <laughs> um, but Harrison is immediately, Grandpa Harrison, Bo's grandfather, is immediately concerned and wants to see how much he can sell his home for, believing that the neighborhood must be getting low property values if a black family is moving in. Oh, God help us, Harrison. Mm-hmm. Which leaves us to wonder, is this the beginning of the Johnson family being part of white flight themselves? Uh, so grown explains that sadly it's right. White flight was real in the eighties and it began creeping from cities to suburbs. Yeah. The eighties, it got brutal. And today it may not be as prevalent, but statistics show that black neighborhoods are worth 50% less than white neighborhoods. According to Brokish podcast, another great podcast by two black women that I know, which we will, we'll leave info in the show blog notes about, but 
they have educated me so much on black communities, financial history. And after listening to two seasons of them, of their podcast, it's an atrocity to see that reparations um, would even be up for debate for African-Americans. So I encourage everyone to listen to them, but um, back to the episode. So Alicia finally meets the neighbors, Vivica, a school teacher and George, a dentist, and Paul meets the couple and he expresses his excitement about not being the only black family around anymore. And Vivica and George look at him like he's insane. Um, (laughs) He keeps referencing that was this black family. Um, And they, they excuse themselves immediately. Like they're like radar, like, (laughs) like, no, no, it's like lights are flashing. Um, And Didi, after they leave, Didi explains like, you guys know exactly what that's about. Black people hate mixed couples. All they see is a corny white guy and a sellout black woman. Okay. This joke slash point slash dig slash truth (laughs) never gets easy for me to hear. Tarana, how do you, how have you, or how do you handle when others think of your dad um, or their, your parents relationship as maybe selling out when marrying your mother? It's really hard. I mean, it's hard because I know and I've seen, even though my parents are divorced, they divorced when I was nine. They are true friends. They are true Mm -hmm. friends to this day. They love each other so much and Mm -hmm. they couldn't make it work for many reasons that married couples can't make it work. I don't know how much race played into that. I do know there's a lot of hurt involved um, because of some of the experiences they had over the years. I will Mm -hmm. say, um, it's, it's just too simplistic. I usually look at people like that, um, like that they're very small minded. And I think that, and, and, and some, some of it is, you know, and, but then I've also looked at my parents and tried hard to make sure to see they're not really, um, the living those stereotypes. My dad was a football coach, you know, and a lot of black athletes, um, get, uh, castigated for being, uh, for marrying white women. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I looked very hard at my parents' relationship, um, to make sure they weren't the stereotype and, um, yeah, I was happy. I can to, relate to that. Happy, happy to see, to know, and that their, their friendship is real, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, um, there's a lot of eye rolling I've seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, how I identify, um, mostly again, this is more so by the black community who thinks I'm trying to disown my, my, my black side when I say, no, I'm biracial. Thank you so much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, my parent, it's the, it was the same. I mean, you know, it, it's when at the end of the day, you realize it's a personal thing that that pain or that reaction to their relationship it's a deeper level for that person individual and rightfully i mean rightfully so no reason yeah, to take it out on any, them obviously i don't take anything away but it's hard people, right? when it's your parents and it's their marriage and it's your family you know but um you know sometimes you have to keep those things to yourself i think and i can understand relationships you know that are young and maybe just they're not as serious but you know we had a family like they were married and were, you know, making the most of it. And I think, you know, I think everyone embracing those couples and trying to encourage them um, in some ways is better than accosting them. Right. Right. And then just under trying to just like stay a beat longer, look just a beat longer to make sure maybe there's something you're not seeing, you know? Um, Yeah. And I, I understand we are, we are, um, we are 
uh, our experiences make us who we are. And I, I yeah. feel a little that or begrudge out of anybody. And there is a lot of truth. Um, I think there's probably some truth to, I hate to say it to jungle fever. Maybe. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Um, uh, and the attraction to the other or experimenting yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure that's part of the human experience, whatever, but you know, um, stay a bit, stay a bit, it, you know, with my family, do a little bit of a, um, what's the word when you go abroad and be an exchange student in my biracial family for a minute and, and see if you don't get past some of those stereotypes. Yeah. So Alicia and Paul are determined to show George and Vivica that they are good neighbors and good people. Been there proving myself before. Uh, <laughs> she even tries to use Santi as a playmate um, with, with Vivica's daughter, Nikki. Yeah. And meanwhile, Paul tells George about his days marching with King and uses it to bond with him over a meal at a soul food restaurant, but struggles with the hot sauce. <laughs> and he even hosts a soul food cookout to work to, you know, work his, what he calls his black magic, but then struggles again, this time with the Henny. <laughs> and uh, I feel this is the first time we're seeing Paul trying to fit in and uncomfortable with his whiteness. And weirdly at the same time, Alicia is getting over the top, is being over the top with her blackness. Toronto, have you been in the situation where you were so excited about the other black person or family that lived nearby or was around? Oh, I definitely yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, this, had, this was, um, you know, this is you know, growing up a Tremblay white neighborhood in Bellevue, Washington. I would love going to Long Beach to see my dad's side of the family. I would love going to I would love to see all my extended family. But I was especially excited to be able to connect with my black cousins and connect to the, the quote unquote black side. Mm hmm. Um, uh, and, um, listen, I mean, I think Paul's experience is really interesting, right? Because it just shows that yeah. it cuts both ways. So, mm -hmm. so my mom has spoken a lot about the side eye she gets as a white woman in the grocery store with two brown children who are my grandchildren in Atlanta, Georgia. And they look at her like, what are you doing with these brown children? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And, um, so she's also been very hurt, um, and so Paul probably and has felt awkward at times. And so I think that's a really important part of the story. I'm glad they bring Paul's side out. I appreciate him going over the top a little bit, though. I have to say a little bit like um, instead of, you know, but then he does he does take it personal. He does take it personal that they don't embrace him right away like because he's not used to that. He's used to being embraced by the black community pretty fast. So that's yeah. awkward, you know the whole situation's awkward for him but yeah that's real and it's uncomfortable watching right but it's so yeah. true to life and that's why mm -hmm. this show is so good mm -hmm. um but vivica and george explained to alicia and paul that they just wanted to be that they just wanted to be friends and not not think about being black for once uh, alicia mm -hmm. apologizes and confesses she's always surrounded by whiteness and got overly excited to have <laughs> girlfriend next door right so mm -hmm. while we close out this part of the episode another big moment is happening in Bo's life when she and Bryce are about to celebrate their one week anniversary remember when a week felt like a month and a month felt like a year <laughs> and those little middle school relationships yeah. my gosh yeah. Bo <laughs> is making Bryce an ashtray for an anniversary um an anniversary gift um part of their one week together celebrating that. But Bryce shocks Bo and tells her his family is moving um, so his dad can get a better job. Creeping in a bit of the white flight here, I guess. 
moving neighborhood I don't know I mean they don't really like dive in it was so coincidental too coincidental so I was suspicious of what this Mm. quote-unquote better job was about so maybe it was just you know just that maybe it just was coincidental but at the time that they're talking about they set it all up in the beginning of the episode about white flight and you know a black family finally coming in a white neighborhood it just felt like wow okay but then this white family is leaving so you know, growing up, I remember in middle school, some of the white kids leaving, you know, our school for private schools, which felt like, you know, and I see that now even in schools, in public schools, a lot of time in Atlanta, there's a little bit of white flight at the middle school or high school stage. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. And and now with COVID, lots of things are changing. So I don't know what, what it's all going to bring. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. What are your thoughts? Like, do you think that white people like should feel guilty about that? Like, you know, now in this day and age versus like back in the day, they're just like, I'm just leaving. I'm just, I mean, it was so blatant at, at some points where it was like, Oh no, the neighborhood's falling apart. We need to get out of here because a black family moves in. And then there were late later. It was more like an, a very soft moving out like a very quiet moving out like we're just moving because you know we want to live closer to our parents <laughs> we, for example with Bryce we're getting a better we want a better job you know um and not saying it's because black people are moving in and now I don't know it's in 2020 mm, I'm I, I I think there's of still course a lot there of is I think oh. I mean, there's the gentrification happening on the flip side. <laughs> so it's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm quite, I'm quite c- convinced we're probably the first black family in, in my neighborhood in Atlanta. I, I, I need to research this. Mm. Really? This was built Whew. in the 1960s. And I went, met one of the original owners recently. I uh, got more of the history recently. And I really want to ask. So I just really want to mm. ask. But I'm quite sure mm-hmm. we might be the first. So it, it's a wow, very nice neighborhood. I mean, very nice neighbors, I should say. You know, we um, haven't yeah. had any issues, but um, it's you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, so Bo's friends give her damaging advice by telling her to ignore him so she doesn't have to say goodbye and embarrass herself with the ugly cry <laughs> Bryce, Bryce. <laughs> Johan is super sad as as well so he invites Bryce to the cookout to say goodbye but is but is too um but too emotional to talk to him this prompts Bo to go into the ugly cry and to run into her room where her grandfather Harrison comes to console her and encourage her to write Bryce a letter to stay in touch Harrison has some surprising moments here. He, he, he surely loves these kids. These grandkids of his. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And at the end, he makes the right choice and decides to keep his rental property and not sell it because a black family moves in. And Santi may have even found her match in little Nikki next door. So maybe we'll see, you know, some future um, interactions with her. Um, but in our next few episodes, we'll be wrapping up season one of Mixish and may even have some surprise interviews planned for you all. So before we go, though, um, anything else to add about that episode? No, Toronto. Mm-mm. I mean, I think Harrison, you know, he's he's I don't know. He seems to be closing these episodes out. So I'm so glad it, they but, have his um, character in there. It's re- it represents so much yeah. of the experience. They can do a lot through his character. And they do. Yeah. He and Dee Dee. Yeah. 
but um so we wanted to close um it's you know before we go it's in our hearts to take a moment of silence for the senseless and violent acts towards members of our community community that have made headlines recently and we know this is a much larger discussion so we decided to honor them by saying their names Ahmad Arbery and Brianna Taylor and the many others whose names we don't know that have lost their lives to senseless acts and didn't have a recorded video or you know for proof or hashtag so please take a moment with us um, a moment of silence please May Ahmad and Brianna both rest in peace. We sincerely want to thank Sean King's Action Pack and the Grassroots Law Initiative for continuing to inform our community and the world of these horrific crimes and their fight for these victims and their families. No one should lose their life innocently. It's now time for our mixed message of the day. In our mixed message today, we're asking, how do you show your support when you hear about racial injustice in your community? Send us a DM and share with us through our website, MixLifeATL.com, or find us on social media at MixLifeATL. In our next episode, we'll be covering a few other episodes as well, again, and then we'll be getting into the finale pretty soon here. That's all we have for the show today. Until next time, stay safe and peace out. Mixed Life ATL is recorded in Atlanta, Georgia and produced by SDB360 LLC and Capacity Media. You can hear us wherever mainstream podcasts can be found. For information on how to advertise your business on this podcast, please message us at mixedlifeatl.com.